Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Deasy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. We're back after a week off, and I hope you missed me. We have a great show for you as we start the final month of 2021. We'll have some college football talk. RPI head coach Ralph Isernia comes on to talk about the engineers as they get set to face top-ranked North Central in the NCAA Division III tournament quarterfinals on Saturday in Napierville, Illinois. Then Gazette sports writer and Notre Dame fan Mike McGadam gives his thoughts about Monday's shocking news of head coach Brian Kelly leaving the Fighting Irish for LSU. The National Lacrosse season opens this weekend, and that marks the debut of the Albany Firewolves. The team moved here from Connecticut. The league did not play last season due to the coronavirus pandemic. The Firewolves opened their season Saturday at the Toronto Rock. On Monday, I spoke with Firewolves head coach and general manager Glenn Clark about the team and the season. Well, Glenn, uh, welcome to the podcast. I would say welcome to Albany, but you're still stuck in Canada because of this COVID situation. How crazy has this been for you? It's certainly been different. It's, it's been a, a, you know, a, a much different startup than we're used to uh, for everybody with the, the testing rules and the travel limitations and the, you know, the delay in visa issues. So it certainly hasn't been business as usual, but Having said that, it's, it's it's good to, you know, we're moving towards normalcy, which is nice. I mean, how, how difficult has it been trying to conduct practice in, in order to get ready for the uh, the season? You, I mean, obviously, you open up, yeah, fortunately, you're opening up in, in Toronto on, on Saturday. It hasn't been, like, when we're in the building and, and when we've got guys on site, and, you know, that, that has been normal. It's just it's been a little more complicated because we, you know, we have a league where guys are, are trapped in from all over the place. And, uh, you know, so some of the travel issues have been magnified, but once we have them on site, once we get them in there, uh, it's sort of business as you. When do you expect for you personally, when do you expect to be able to, to come to the United States? We were in, uh, I actually was there this weekend. We were in Rochester for our final preseason game. So we were we were in the U.S. That's the first time I've been in the U.S. in 18 months, I think. Wow. So we were, we were across the border in Rochester for our final preseason game. And uh, I'll be back again for the, uh, the home opener. Well, you mentioned Rochester, uh, the, the Nighthawks. I mean, I, I go back to, I'm 58 years old. I go back to the 1970s when the first incarnation of the indoor lacrosse league was in. And I grew up in Philadelphia. We had the Philadelphia Wings. And uh, Rochester, you know, won the championship that, in 1974, the first year of that. So, I mean, I go back, way back with this lacrosse. I, I, I enjoyed uh, uh, the box lacrosse experience. It was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, can you t- tell me, I know we've had the, the Albany attack here uh, over 20 years ago, but Talk to people about what this game is like and how the, the, the indoor game has grown over the years. I mean, I think the popularity of lacrosse has really helped that. Well, to describe the game, I mean, I think the best comparable is, you know, if you want to mash hockey and, and basketball together, you've got the, 
need the physicality of hockey, obviously the goaltenders, but a lot of the, the, the systems are, are similar to basketball in terms of the offense and the defense, the fast breaks. So you're, you're kind of blending the contact, the physicality, and all that of hockey with a little bit of systematic play of, uh, of basketball. And the indoor game, to be honest, in Canada has always been the more popular of the two. Everybody up here is, is sort of a box indoor player first, and then they play field as well. So it's sort of a, you know, it's, it's flipped north and south of the border. You know, in the U.S., everybody is, is starts with field lacrosse, and then a lot of people see the value of box lacrosse training and, and, and move towards that. So uh, it, it's always been, a you know, an incredibly popular game in Canada, but you're seeing the growth and the popularity in the U.S. because a lot of uh, a lot of the U.S.-born players are, are now playing box, and a lot of the Canadian players are having success in the field game as a result of their box training. So, you know, the, the games are becoming closer together uh, the more kind of cross-border exposure we're getting. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I mentioned the, uh, the, the, the wings back in the day. Back, I remember when uh, Doug Favell used to play for the Flyers and Toronto Maple Leafs. Rick Dudley, a former Buffalo Sabre. These guys played in the summer, you know, played box lacrosse. So, yeah, I think there's a nice crossover there with hockey players as well. Yeah, and that's essentially what it is uh, north of the border. We, you know, most of the, the players, you know, I, I would say 90% plus, maybe more, of the Canadian box lacrosse players that you'll see in the LL have played hockey and some of them high-level hockey. We've, we've got a guy on our roster right now. Uh, he's on the holdout list because he's playing pro hockey over in Europe. So you, you've, you've got a lot of that still with the Canadian players that play certainly hockey, but some still play quite a high level of hockey, like some are playing university hockey and pro lacrosse. So we still have that up here where, you know, they're hockey in the winter and then uh, indoor lacrosse in the summertime. Yeah. What sense are you getting uh, about the excitement level here in Albany uh, with uh, lacrosse, uh, the lacrosse team here in, in town? Well, you know, not having been on site, I mean, but talking to George and, and even doing this, I mean, the interviews I've done on um, on radio and some of the things I've seen through social media, I'm excited. I, I think it's going to be a community that embraces it. I think it, it, it's got the potential to really grow when fans can put faces to names and, and, and sort of have the experience and feel the energy and, and you know, it, it becomes real for them. So I, I think it's really going to, you know, take off once once we're there, once there's boots on the ground, once there's name to pay, or faces to names, and they really get a, a feel for what uh, the game is all about. Yeah, obviously the league did not play last year because of the COVID situation. What, what was it like, you know, sitting out last year? How, how difficult was that? It was awful, to be honest, because, you know, we, we and especially up north of the border where I live, uh, our, our restrictions were uh, quite a bit tighter than they were in the U.S. So we, we were locked down. I mean, other than, you know, for months, the only place that was open was a grocery store. No restaurants, no arenas, not like you literally had nowhere to go. Like we were on a, on a pretty tight lockdown. So 
uh, it, it was tough with not having the distraction of sports and travel and, and different things going on in people's lives. So it, it was, uh, this is a real, even though we're dealing with restrictions, modifications, it, it's a welcome change from, from what we were going through last year, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, talk about this team and some of the uh, players that uh, the fans can uh, make, uh, who, who could be some of the top players the fans could uh, watch this year. Well, we're really we're really built on balance. To be honest, we we got uh, a, a sort of a you know like minded group and a, and a well even distributive talent. We've got a very athletic defense uh, with some young guys, you know, Colton Watkins and Nick Jakowski, but. To be honest, I'd have to go down the list of all of them uh, because they're, they're, the skill sets are fairly close, and and that's what's given us success. To be honest, is this ability to roll out, uh, you know, a consecutive group that is, is very similar, very skilled, very talented, and the same thing on our offense. We we have very similar style players that play an active, athletic game. So that that's kind of what you're going to see. Fans will sort of pick their favorites as they go, but we, we we don't have a player that is the go-to guy. We have a very balanced roster uh, across the board. Our goaltending, Stucky Jamison was goaltender of the year the last uh, season we played, so, you know, obviously he's had some accolades from that position, but I think what you're going to see from the team is athleticism, uh, a real tenacity when they play, uh, and, and a real good balance across the lineup. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll just look at the schedule. This league is, you know, really expanded over the years. I mean, you're from, from Halifax to San Diego. I mean, how how popular can this sport become, uh, especially coming out of the lockout? Or not the lockout, but the uh, COVID situation. Well, I think the sky's the limit. I do, you know, we've got some TV exposure now with TSN in Canada and ESPN in, in the United States, which I think helps. I think it validates the game, and people see it on TV and go, "Oh, okay, these guys are, you know, moving towards one of the big, uh, big sports." And the game sells itself. So we have places around the league. You know, Saskatchewan was a new franchise five years ago, and, and they sell out every game. Buffalo does very well. Like there, there's places that are packing the building, and that, and that's our goal in Albany is to get to that position where uh, the fans embrace it, they they love the game, and it's it's a great event based night for for fans and families and people to get to. And of course, locally, uh, the team will be on uh, my four for the games, and of course, on radio on on 104.5 the team. So, how good is that to have that ex- local exposure? fantastic and it's so you know it, it just helps grow the product grow the brand get the familiarity um and it is it's one of those games where when you expose people to it uh they come away with a with a, an instant love for it they can't believe the speed the physicality the you know the grace of the game it's 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 got all those elements that that you want uh and it really does uh, sell itself once you get eyes on. Yep. Well, the, as you mentioned, Firewolves open up Saturday at Toronto, and their home opener is December 18th against the Rochester Nighthawks. Glenn Clark, appreciate a few minutes talking uh, box across. 
No problem. Anytime. I'm uh, I'm enjoying uh, getting back at it and then just talking sports, talking lacrosse. Anytime. Uh, I'm in. RPI football head coach Ralph Isternia joins me next. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast. Hi, this is Daily Gazette reporter Shenandoah Breer. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2022. I've got a math question for you. When you add tolerance, subtract prejudice, and multiply efforts to treat one another with respect, what do you get? Less division. And school sports have it down to a science. Looking for an example of what can happen when we realize there's more that unites us than divides us? Look no further than high school sports in New York. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette Managing Editor Kaylin Brown. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2022. Welcome back to the podcast. The RPI football team continues its march towards the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl as they get set to play the quarterfinals against top-ranked North Central in Napierville, Illinois. I talked with the RPI head coach Ralph Isernia on Monday. Well, Ralph, appreciate a few minutes. I know you're busy getting ready for the uh, quarterfinal game Saturday against North Central. Uh, congratulations so far. I mean, how pleased are you and how surprised are you at this point? Um, you know, I don't know uh, if, if "surprised" is the word. I, I know that we had a uh, we had a good team coming in for, uh, to the season. Um, you know, nineteen super seniors and thirty uh, uh, something. You know, uh, true seniors that were coming back. Um, you know, we knew we had talent. We knew we had good players. Um, but the, uh, you know, kind of the X factor was that we hadn't been able to practice with them for over 600 days. So we didn't know what kind of shape they were going to be in. But, uh, you know, we were uh, we were pleased to see that they came into camp in shape. Uh, they had been working out together uh, during all that time. And, um, you know, I, I think it speaks to the character of, of the young men that we have in our program. Talk about that. How difficult was that not being able to practice last year because of COVID because everything – the school was shut down and you know, guys were scattered all over the place. Yeah, uh, we had, uh, you know, we had some guys on campus, some guys off, some guys at home. And, uh, you know, our facilities uh, were uh, were closed. So they weren't any, uh, you know, weren't able to get on campus to lift or work with the strength and conditioning coaches. So everything they had to do was, was going to be on their own. And, um, you know, I, I know that at the beginning that, uh, you know, I think guys were looking for things to do, looking for some direction. And then once they got into a rhythm, it was something that they kept doing every single week. So, um, you know, guys were carpooling together uh, to get to the gyms. Uh, they were finding uh, different uh, different fields to, to, to play on and, and to throw in practice and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I, we've, we've got, we have outstanding uh young men in our program we've got guys that are dedicated to the team and um you know they they really value the the quality education that they get here at rpi uh but uh, you know you could see that they play for each other and there's a uh, you know there's a lot of love there one thing i've been impressed about and you know looking over your schedule uh this year you guys are eight and one in games decided by eight points or less i mean it, it really started off the first two games of the year montclair state you win late 21 20 and the following week against Stevenson, a 14-10 game. I mean, did this team gain confidence as the season wore on, knowing that, hey, if we're, you know, we have a small lead or we're down, we're going to be able to you know, get back and win this game? 
Yeah, I, I think they've got that. Uh, they've got that next play mentality. You know, it, it doesn't matter what what which has happened. Let's let's play the next play. And uh, you know, you, you, you talked about them being in those situations uh, a number of times. And I think I, I, I wouldn't say that. Uh, we're comfortable with it. Um, you know, certainly I know I'm not comfortable with it. Would rather, you know, score a few more points mm-hmm. and, uh, and hold them a little bit on defense. But, um, you know, our guys know, know what it takes to, to win and they're, they're battle tested. They've been through those, those tight games. And, um, you know, it's, I think, like I said before, it's a, it's a testament to, to their resiliency, uh, their ability to, to keep making plays and to, you know, put the previous play behind them and, and uh, you know, focus on the next one. And does that help us, you know, since you've been playing these playoff games on the road, you had to go to Endicott, you had to go to SUNY Cortland, now you have to go to North Central and um, uh, in Naperville, Illinois. I mean, how much confidence do you guys have playing on the road and not worrying about, uh, not having that home field advantage. Yeah, since I've since I've been here, we've been to the playoffs uh, three times, uh, and this will be our seventh game, and we've only played one home game. Um, so uh, our guys know that uh, we're going to be wearing our white uniforms. We'll be staying in a hotel. You know, we've got the the whole travel component to it. Um, you know, it's it, it's one of those things that hey, we can't control. You know, where they're going to send us or, or anything like that. It's um, you know, it's really a focus on on the team that we're going to be playing and how we can execute to win the ball game. Uh, what do we? What do you know about North Central? Uh, they're the number one ranked team in the country, uh, which I'm used to hearing Mountain Union being ranked number one. But uh, what do you know about this North Central College team? Uh, North Central is the number one team in the country, and for for very good reason. Um, they're scoring uh, around 57 points a game, only giving up around 11. Um, they can you know they can run, they can pass. They've got a huge offensive line, very physical. Uh, their two running backs can go the distance. Uh, the quarterback is is a young guy, but he does not make mistakes. They've got receivers that can take the top off the coverage defensively. Uh, they're massive. Uh, they run their football. They're angry when they get there. Um, they've got linebackers and DBs that look like they could be interchangeable. And, um, they're they're extremely well coached. They don't make mistakes. Uh, so. Uh, like I said, uh, defending national champs, number one team in the country, and uh, for good reason. What do you have? To, let's talk about your offense. What do you have to do to you know neutralize their defense? Yeah, well, we have to um, we have to control the line of scrimmage. Uh, we need to be able to run the football, protect the quarterback. Um, they play a, a ton of coverages on the back end, and you know we need to exploit um, you know any matchups that uh, that are favorable uh, for us. And, um, you know, take advantage of uh, maybe a, a, a short field or, or something like that uh, in order to get points on the board. As far as your defense, what do you have to do to control their offense? It starts with the same thing. It starts with controlling the line of scrimmage. They're a team that that really wants to establish the run, uh, and they're very good at it. So you know we need to uh, we need to try to match numbers, or or maybe even get an extra number in the box. Uh, you know, some way somehow, uh, and um, you know try to to limit the the enormous plays. And um, you know they're a very good football team, and and you know uh, they're going to get. They're going to get theirs, but uh, we want to make sure that if they do score, the, to drive the long field to to, to execute, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 play drives in order to get there. We haven't talked since the um, before the Dutchman Shoes game, but uh, has Trevor Bisson come down from his uh, game-winning kick yet? 
<laughs> yeah, Trevor's been. You know what? Uh, it, it it didn't take uh, it didn't take very long for him to uh, uh, you know to, to to find his way you know find his place on this team and you know even before the the shoes game uh, you know he was he was already uh, he was already adopted in, in the locker room as as one of ours and um, it, it was good to see our guys you know reach out to him and, and uh, bring him into the fold uh, you know a guy that they had seen in the hallways a guy they had seen in the weight room and, and playing soccer and everything but uh, to finally have him with us uh, you know he's one of us now I mean just he's going to go down in, in lore for this for that kick against Union uh, <laughs> the game winning kick we what what was that moment like the pressure on him because he you know this is really his first football game and to do what he did what what was going through your mind when that it was going was going through going down with that whole situation there well it, it was it, it's kind of funny because i uh, i was talking with adam clinton our men's soccer coach you know i said well you know tell me a little bit about him what he's what is he like you know usually at this time of the season you know in, in going into the 10th game you know all the players on your team and you know what they're like and all of a sudden we bring a new guy in you know what's his personality like and, and all that and he said you know he said, uh, you know, he's from uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He said uh, he nicknamed him the Big Easy because he's really easy going. He's intense when he's on the field. He's competitive, but he just kind of has that easy going, you know, mentality. Um, and, and I would bet that, uh, you know, if you had a heart rate monitor on him, you know, for that kick, he's probably, you know, right there around uh, 55, 60. And, you know, before the kick and then after kick, obviously, you know, a whole lot more excited. But, uh, you know, he's uh, he's been a, a great addition to, to our program. Final question for you, Ralph. Uh, how much fun has this season been, especially not playing last year and getting this far in the NCAA tournament? Uh, it has been – it's been a blast. Um, just – you know, I don't know if, if anything could top the feeling that we had uh, the opening day of, of, of football camp this year. After everything everyone had been through to get back, to get on the field, uh, that was uh, that, that was one of the, the best feelings that I've had um, as a football coach. Just getting back with our guys, just being able to coach them, just to see them every single day. Um, that's, you know, that, that's been... Um, you know, one of the things that uh, when you don't have it, you you really miss it. And um, just to be back with our guys has that that's been a blessing. And you know, certainly we knew we had a we had a, a pretty good football team, and um, the guys put in the work. And, and you know, we're here right now. Well, Ralph, appreciate a few minutes. Uh, good luck on Saturday uh, at in Apierville. All right, thanks very much. Gazette sports writer Mike McGannum joins me next to talk about the shocking news that Brian Kelly is leaving his head coaching position at Notre Dame for LSU. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Michael Kelly. I would like to wish you a happy holiday season and a great 2022. The pro football season is here, and it's time to play the Daily Gazette You Pick'em Football Contest. Predict the winners of the weekly games via your You Pick'em online account. The fan with the most correct points each week gets his or her name in the Daily Gazette on Thursday and wins a $100 ShopRite grocery card. The fan with the most overall points after 23 weeks wins a $1,000 travel voucher and could win a trip to Hawaii. For official rules, go to dailygazette.com slash football. The You Pick'em Football Contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department 
and not associated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department. Hi, this is Daily Gazette copy editor Andrew Pugliese. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2022. Welcome back to the podcast. The college football world is still reeling with some major coaching changes, including the shocking one Monday when Brian Kelly announced he was leaving Notre Dame for LSU. And our devoted uh, Notre Dame fan and Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam joins me now. And Mike, uh, still in shock? Um, not still in shock. I was definitely surprised when I heard about it yesterday and immediately disappointed. Um, but... Uh, if you go back and look at Brian Kelly's history, every coaching stop that he's made, he's pretty much pulled a similar stunt. Um, you know, I'm grateful for what he did for the program, but disgusted with the cheesy way that he kind of went out the door and, and really left everybody holding the bag. Um, I, w- I will say for background purposes, I've been a Notre Dame football fan my whole life. My whole family is. I've been out to South Bend a couple times for games. Um, a couple of my siblings even made the Ireland trip a few times to, to go see them play against Navy. Uh, so, yeah, it's, we're pretty hardcore. And uh, um, I'm not still shocked, but when I first heard about it, I was surprised. Just because circumstantially it didn't seem like – I mean, it just came so out of the blue. His name hadn't come up in any um, discussions, really. He actually addressed it a week or two ago and 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 – tried to lean on the Mike Tomlin position about there isn't enough money on the planet Earth to pry me away from here. And then two weeks later, boom, like apparently there was enough money. Yeah. <laughs> because everybody has their price, and LSU just discovered what Brian Kelly's was. The, to me, the, the Notre Dame job is one of the unique jobs. Obviously, Notre Dame, except for last year, isn't an independent. They don't have – they're not affiliated with the Congress in football. It's a job that where a coach usually goes – He's not going to leave for another job unless he's shown the door. Um, you, you look at Aaron Parsegan, he, he never coached again. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lou Holtz left on his own, but then he eventually coached. Well. But it's a job where you don't expect a coach to go to another major program like Kelly's doing with LSU. I mean, that, that's, that's going to you know, really affect Notre Dame. It's like, what, maybe, is it time maybe Notre Dame to consider going into a conference? Um, I don't know about that move necessarily. I will say he literally is the first coach who left uh, on his own for another job um, in the history of the program. So, yeah, it is unprecedented. Maybe it's a sign of the times that um, it's not an easy job. There's certain restrictions academic, academically, et cetera, that you may not necessarily face at other programs <clears throat> like LSU. Um, but so I, I, perhaps some of the luster is off the you know, is off the, that position, and, um, you know, I, I kind of think that, he, you know, one of the things missing from his resume that he wanted to, to um, achieve at Notre Dame was winning a national championship, of course, and maybe he sees better potential to do that, or and or he, he felt like he took Notre Dame as far as it was going to go under, you know, the various um, hurdles that you have to jump over when you're in that job, and he certainly made strides since he got there and his, his record speaks for itself and they've been in the conversation for national championship and the college football playoff for the last few years and actually made it a couple times um before getting clobbered but um so he he kind of got perhaps he felt like he took them as far as he could get them and that next step of getting over the hump to winning a national championship may have been a 
maybe not entirely out of grasp, but he'd be in a better position to do that at LSU. I don't know. He, you know, we haven't seen really any public comments from him other than, well, it wasn't really public, but his his lame apology that he, you know, note message that he texted to his players last night. Um, um, I believe most of whom found out like through Twitter or social media or word of mouth instead of from the coach himself. So, um, yeah, there are a lot of circumstances about him leaving. But um, back to your original question, I, 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 I kind of my gut feeling is that he may have felt like he took Notre Dame to the limit as far as winning a national championship and, and decided between the money and maybe a better opportunity to do that LSU uh, presented itself. And, and th- I mean, that's kind of what it smells like. Well, to me, I mean, moving to LSU is not an easy move because you, you have Alabama and Nick no. Saban there. Georgia's uh, obviously uh, program is going to be challenging uh, Alabama for SEC supremacy. You're going to have Oklahoma and Texas coming into the SEC. So it seems like the opportunity – to take this job at LSU, it's kind of interesting to see what happens because, I mean, what happens if he fails? And I mean, Ed Oregon did win the national title there, but, you know, then he was ended up being forced out, and I think LSU ended up becoming ball eligible anyway. Yeah, I'm not trying to suggest that he doesn't face a monumental challenge winning a national championship or even, like, getting them to, to be competitive in that ridiculous conference. Um, I just think that certain restricts like he'll have a better bigger pool of players that he can go after from a recruiting standpoint so that's sort of like a pressure release valve a little bit um and you know as we see every year it seems like two sec schools are in that final four as as we're you know seeing again this year so he doesn't have to beat alabama he just has to be one of those four in there and uh so I, I think the potential exists. You know, LSU's done it in the past. You know, appears to be in a, an environment where you you know you can win a national championship. Three different coaches have done it there. Um, so I, it, it just goes back to my original point. Yes, SEC is going to be ridiculously tough challenge to to thrive in that conference. But the trade off is that he may have fewer limitations on the players that he can go out and get to do that so I you know he, he must have been comfortable with that aspect of it I mean I, I back to my one of my questions with the conference affiliation I mean last year because of the pandemic Notre Dame actually played in the ACC and they got to the ACC championship game do you think being a part of that conference for one year maybe gave um, Brian Kelly a, a taste of what it's like to play in conference and maybe wanted to get back to doing that I don't know. Only he can answer that as far as from Notre Dame's standpoint. I think, you know, the traditionalists um, are, are going to dig deep. You know, they're going to dig in on that issue and and, and want to remain independent as they have been for so long. It's been a, it's a big part of the school and the football program's identity. Um, I'm not sure really what the advantages would be. I mean, it would alter their schedule. Um, it would force them to play. You know, they play a bunch of those schools pretty frequently anyway, like North Carolina and Georgia Tech, if they're even still in the ACC. I don't, I can't keep track of these conferences anymore. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, I, you know, you can weigh the pros and cons of getting in a conference. I, I think the sticks in the mud at, at Notre Dame are, are going to probably put up enough resistance to it that, you know, if it, if it happens, it probably won't be soon, and they're going to have to have some real reason to convince them to do that. Uh, I'm not expecting that if they do it. 
not even sure how I'll feel about it. Um, and again, it'll probably affect their scheduling more than anything. Um, I, I kind of, I'm, I would call myself a traditionalist. I kind of like the independent um, uh, aspect of their, their program identity. As we talk here on Tuesday, and things obviously could change between now and then uh, when the podcast comes up, who would you like to see take over the program? Um, the one guy that's the, among the like half a dozen or so names that popped up that I'm interested in is Marcus Freeman, who's the current. He's only been there for a year. He's a defensive coordinator, but he kind of got that unit turned around. Apparently, he's a very good recruiter. Um, the huge question mark is he's never been a head coach at, at this level before, so um, running this program as your first one <laughs> is very daunting. I know Luke Fickle is kind of the sexy choice right now, the head coach at Cincinnati, for all the obvious reasons, and I wouldn't mind him either. And then the other ones that you can throw in there, like Matt Campbell at Iowa State, James Franklin at Penn State, Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern's name has been thrown in there. Uh, I will say that one name that has just come up because naturally it would is Urban Meyer, and um, I, I don't want him. Um, uh, just don't really, I just don't really like the guy for one thing, <laughs> and you know, and it would just seem like kind of old hat and retread. I know his record speaks for itself, but um, yeah, I think Marcus Freeman is interesting. Luke Fickle probably has the inside track, and I wouldn't mind seeing him either for you know all the great work he's done at Cincinnati. Well, that'd be kind of ironic because obviously Brian Kelly came from Cincinnati, so they go back to Cincinnati and get another coach, possibly. Yeah, it would be kind of weird. It would also be kind of weird if, you know, like once the the field comes out for the for the playoffs, it's like two programs that like suddenly don't have a coach if Luke Fickle is like appears to be pried away or certain, you know, if, if Notre Dame still gets in, um, which kind of brings me to some of the scenarios right now. There, Notre Dame's on the bubble and need a couple things to happen. Um, right now it's Georgia, Michigan, Alabama, and Cincinnati are in. Um, and the only two that appear to have a shot to break into that group is Notre Dame and Oklahoma State. All five of those teams are playing. Notre Dame's the only one that's done with their regular season. Um, it would have helped Notre Dame if Auburn could have like pulled out that win against Alabama last week. I was watching that game, riveted to that game, and was disappointed in the finish. But if Georgia beats Alabama, that opens the door for Notre Dame. Um, so they will need some help, clearly, especially since they're not playing this week. Um, but it could still happen. It'll be just kind of weird. If I, I'm, I want them to make it anyway just because I'm a fan, but I really want them to make it just to see, like, the total um, bizarre show of them, you know, having a lame duck. Uh, you know, the coaching staff, from what I've read, um, the school is not in any hurry to hire or name anyone as an interim head coach, so I think they're still kind of working out how the coaching situation is going to you know, how that's going to be addressed. Because um, they will play a bowl game, obviously, no matter what happens, whether they make it in the CFP or not. Um, but I, part of me, like, is kind of interested to see, like, how they would respond in in, in the college football playoff with Kelly gone, um, how that would motivate them. I, you know, um, from watching the team all season, I can tell you they're not going to lay down or they're not going to – take this as a negative and from what I've read on social media the players handled it about as well as you could considering the cheesy way that uh, Brian Kelly informed them which was he didn't inform them he sort of did it after this fact in an apologetic 
manner and then said, oh, and by the way, we got a 7 a.m. meeting on, on Tuesday. Um, so he made them show up for a 7 o'clock meeting this morning to, you know, reiterate his apology, I guess, and it lasted a whopping 11 minutes, and he's out the door. And um, So, again, a lot of the circumstances surrounding him leaving were really kind of um, disgusting and just, just no class, really. Yeah, um, I was reading some but I don't, You know, and I don't begrudge coaches leaving. I mean, it happens all the time, and the money is hard to turn down, um, and especially when you have a you know prospect like going to a school like LSU. But just, yeah, the way he did it, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And he's done it before, and this one might be the most cartoonishly, like, dastardly of all of his departures. <laughs> I was reading some tweets late Tuesday afternoon, and then some of them tweets are not saying may have been meeting may have been only two minutes. <laughs> well, I don't know. I saw 11 minutes. Um, I, I've seen 11 minutes. Too, so we're splitting hairs at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it was short, put it that way, and it and probably wasn't – you can't imagine it was all that satisfying for the players, but, you know, he – you know, it's just like – and I know there's no textbook way to do this. You know, I – you, you already had story, stories filtering out about how, like, one assistant coach um, anonymously told one of the Notre Dame, you know, outlets that uh, he literally found out about it when he got a text when he walked out of the living room of a recruit that he had just been talking up, not knowing that anything was going on. And so, like, everything he just told this recruit was pretty much instantly obsolete as soon as he walked out the door. So... Kelly put a lot of people in an uncomfortable bed to, uh, situation. And, I, you know, I guess it seems like it could have been avoided. He could have just done it in, in a more graceful way. Yeah. Well, Mike, appreciate your thoughts on that because I know how much devoted you are to Notre Dame Athletics. And, uh, so we'll see uh, what happens uh, with their coaching hire and see if they make the college football playoffs. That would be kind of funny if they do make the playoffs without uh, Brian Kelly. Brian. I really was. <laughs> Um, like I said, I'm rooting for him anyway just because I'm a fan, but uh, that, that would just kind of like make it a little spice here. But thanks for having me on, Ken. Go Irish. <laughs> thanks, Mike. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll wrap up this podcast on the latest winners in the Daily Gazette's You Pick a Football Contest in just a moment. Hi, this is Daily Gazette editor Miles Reed. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2022. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Adam Schinder. I hope you and your family have a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous and healthy 2022. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 11 winner in the Daily Gazette's You Pick'em Football Contest 
was Robert Mears of Schenectady. The Week 12 winner is Pamela LeBreak, also of Schenectady. Robert and Pamela each win a $100 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, Robert and Pamela. The Week 11 VIP winners were Tom Cugtugno of BL's Tavern and Grill and me. Yes, I got lucky in Week 11. The Week 12 VIP winners are Colton Eastman of Emmerich Sales and Service and Jim DeMarco of Terry Morris Ford. I'll be announcing the weekly winner of the You Pick'em Contest. That winner's name will appear in Thursday's Daily Gazette. If you would like to play, go to dailygazette.com and click the You Pick'em logo. The NFL season is here, and that means you can see my picks and where you can watch the games. Go to dailygazette.com slash category slash sports to see my picks and the TV listings. I was 10-5 in Week 12, and I am 107-74-1 on the season. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you are doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I would like to thank Glenn Clark, Ralph Isternia, and Mike McAdam for coming on the show. I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on Union Hockey. I'll preview the Union Games against Princeton on Friday and 4th-ranked Quinnipiac on Saturday at Mesa Rink. I'll offer my thoughts on the possibility that the Union men's and women's hockey teams will be offering athletic scholarships. And Union Hockey TV analyst Brian Unger will be my guest. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, uh, please email them to me at shots, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.